Well, good morning, everyone, and uh, I want to wish you a, a very happy Mother's Day to all of you. And I want to quickly, before we get started, give you a facility update. I was notified this week that the facility that we use on Sunday mornings will be closed through at least the end of May. Ah, yeah, the end of May. And um, you may have heard something also on the news about churches making an appeal to the governor of California regarding reopening, and that a number of churches said that they will be opening on May 31st, even if they don't have permission uh, from the governor. Well, uh, I saw that too, and we will see what comes of that, but either way, we don't own our own building, so we don't really have those kind of options, and so we are going to have to wait until the city of Fontana gives us permission to meet again at the neighborhood center. So, please keep praying about that. Okay, so there's your update. And of course, things continue to change. So if things do change, I'll make you aware of those. If we're uh, allowed in earlier uh, than they originally told us, that would be great. And uh, we, I'll make you aware of that. But there is also a possibility that the closure of the facility could be extended even into June. But we'll wait and see. We'll wait and see. So, did you read... I'm going to ask you, did you read or did you have read to you the letter of Philippians this last week? I wonder if you did that. If you did that, awesome, great, that's wonderful. I bet uh, you were blessed by it. I know I am every time I read the letter. And if you didn't do that, I want to encourage you to pick up the letter this week and read through all four chapters of it. So, please go ahead now and turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. We are slowly working our way through verses 1 through 9 of chapter 4, as most of you know. In these verses, Paul, as I've said before, he makes a number of final appeals, or you could call them loving exhortations, as he brings the letter to a close. So far, we have, as we've looked at this, we have considered an appeal for the church to stand firm in the Lord, an appeal for unity that was directed at two specific members of the church who were not getting along with one another, an appeal to rejoice in the Lord always, no matter the circumstances, and finally, an appeal for the church to let their gentleness or graciousness be known to everyone, which would include those who might treat them unfairly or harshly. Today, we will focus in on Paul's appeal that begins in verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but instead pray, basically. Or as one Bible translation puts it, don't worry about anything, instead Tell God about everything. Beloved, let me, uh, let me ask you a question. Are you anxious about anything? Have you been worried about anything lately? I'm going to guess that the answer for, for most, if not all, is yes. 
And so I hope this message will be helpful to you. And I also happen to think that this is a great Mother's Day message. It's a great Mother's Day message. Because generally speaking, moms and those who desperately want to be moms or bring children into the world but are struggling to do so, in both cases, in my experience, those women are often very anxious or worried or can be. And so I hope for you moms or you moms who are desiring to be moms, those desiring to be moms, I hope that this message will bless your heart as well. Recently, <coughs> beginning at the end of April, Grace to You, which is a, a ministry <coughs> of Grace Community Church, and in light of, as they put it, I'm quoting them, the fear and uncertainty generated by the current COVID-19 pandemic, in light of that, they decided to repost a blog series that was originally posted in 2012. The reposted blog series is about anxiety, and it's titled, all of the posts are titled, Attacking Anxiety. It's a subtitle, Attacking Anxiety, which I love. I even just love that, that idea, because anxiety is, is always really attacking us and out to get us, but this is us fighting back against that thing that wants to hurt us and will wound us if, if, we, if we let it. Uh, it was adapted, these, these blog series were adapted from John MacArthur's book titled Anxious for Nothing. Anxious for Nothing. I would recommend the blog series to you and the book. You can ex access the blog uh, just by going to your web browser and typing in gty, grace to you, gty.org forward slash blog. gty.org forward slash blog blog. Anyway, I have been reading the blog series and I thought before we got into our text that I would share, because I've been super blessed by it, and I thought I would share a few snippets with you uh, as a way to introduce our text this morning. And I'll read the titles that they give to each uh, blog that they've posted because they're just fun too. Uh, April 24th, this was posted, Bird Watching and Beating Worry. And again, I'm just taking a snippet from those articles, so I hope you'll go back and, and read all of it. And there's plenty of other great stuff there to fill your minds and your hearts with. Anyway, this is what I took from that. Uh, MacArthur says, One of the most hopeless aspects of unrepentant sinners' lives, so uh, unbelievers, is that they have no answer for anxiety. They're forced to put their hopes in flimsy, fallible plans and institutions. They aren't able to rest firmly in the unchanging promises of God. They have to ride out every wave of calamity, every unexpected disaster. And that is indeed, it's a tragedy, it's a tragedy. He goes on to say, if your concept of God is right and you see him as owner, controller, and provider, 
And beyond that, as your loving father, which Christians should see him as, then you know you have nothing to worry about. Jesus said, what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, Jesus says, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? And of course, that's found in Matthew chapter 7, verses 9 through 11. Good, great stuff. Next one, next post. April 29th that I drew something from. It's called The Incompatibility of Faith and Anxiety. He says, some might say, why make a big deal out of worry? It's just a trivial sin. No, it is not. I suspect many mental illnesses and some physical illnesses are directly related to worry. Worry is devastating. But more important than what worry does to you is what it does to God. When you give in to worry, you are saying, in effect, God, I just don't think I can trust you. Worry strikes a blow at the person and character of God. Wow. Those are some some really heavy things to consider and to think about. May 1, titled, The Folly of Worry in Light of Our Future. He writes, Much of our anxiety is born out of concerns and uncertainty regarding our future. We get caught up in our plans and programs, overlooking the blessings of today and obsessing over uncontrollable details on the horizon. Uncontrollable. Worry paralyzes its victim, making him or, or her too upset to accomplish anything else. It hijacks your focus and forces you mentally into tomorrow, occupying your mind with doubts about details you cannot control. The Lord says you have enough to deal with today, Matthew 6, 34. Boy, that's true. Apply today's resources to today's needs or you will lose today's joy, he says. Further, he says, God gives us his grace in the hour we need it. If we worry about the future now, we double our pain without having the grace to deal with it. Wow. Mm, that's just rich stuff, rich stuff, brothers and sisters. Again, if you want to check out this wonderful blog series on anxiety, again, I'll repeat, please go to gty.org forward slash blog. I also want to mention to you that I did a sermon titled, Casting All Your Anxiety on Him, from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 7. And I would recommend that to you as well. Maybe you've heard it. Maybe you've never heard it. Either way, I'd recommend that you check it out. It's available on our website at summitbiblechurch.org for you to listen to. 
All right, beloved, here we go into our text. I'm going to read the entire section. I've been doing that each time, even though we're only looking at a portion of the section each time. Beginning in verse 1 of Philippians chapter 4, follow along with me if you would in your copy of God's word. There we read this. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Iodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness or gentleness, is another translation, be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Wow. Wonderful, wonderful words, wonderful words. Now notice that before Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, in verse 6, notice that he makes this brief statement that we didn't look at last week. He says this, the Lord is at hand. You can see it there. It's right at the end of verse 5. The Lord is at hand. I want to say a quick word about that statement. It can also be translated, the Lord is near. The Lord is near. And most commentators, Bible commentators, believe it refers to the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. But why does Paul insert it here? Or another way to ask that is, what is its function or purpose placed here in this section? Well, that is debated some believe that this phrase is connected to the appeal right before, right before it, or in the first part of verse 5. Let your gentleness, sorry, let your gentleness be known to everyone, the Lord is at hand. So if it's connected with that, it would be something like this, that its purpose would serve something like this, or as one commentator put it, the Lord will right all wrongs when he comes, right? So they should be gentle or they should be gracious with others. Even those who treat them unfairly or harsh, the Lord is near and he will right all the wrongs when he comes. Be gracious. Give it over to him. That is a possible way to understand it uh, for sure. 
Notice, however, that the ESV places a semicolon, if you will, if you have the ESV translation, it places a semicolon after the phrase, uh, the Lord is at hand, which means the translators of the ESV think that the phrase is closely related to the appeal that follows it. In verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. So Paul may be basically saying, hey, church, don't forget the Lord is at hand. His return is near. It is imminent. And when he comes, as you know, he will forever rescue his people from the troubles and trials and tribulations of this world. He will deliver them from all earthly care. So the short statement could have been placed there then to encourage them and and help them fix their eyes again on their great hope that they have in Christ and his return before Paul then appealed to them to not be anxious or to stop worrying about anything. Stop worrying. There'll be a day where he will come and he will remove all of your earthly cares. Stop worrying. Do not be anxious about anything. The Lord is at hand. Look for him and look to him. So that's my, my comments about that, that particular statement. The Lord is at hand. So now let's look at the, um, this exhortation, this loving exhortation in verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, all right? Let's get into that. The Greek word translated anxious here in the ESV is, and I say here in the ESV because in other Bibles they translate it worry. But the Greek word translated anxious here is the same Greek word that is used in Philippians chapter 2, verse 20. So if you would, just let your eyes go back Maybe you have to flip back a few pages to chapter 2. Uh, I'll pick it up in verse 19, and then I'll tell you where the word is, the same Greek word. There we read, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, to the church at Philippi, so that I too may be cheered by news of you, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned, that's the Greek word, for your welfare, concerned. It is a word that can be used both positively and negatively. It can be used either way. In chapter 2, it is used positively to express appropriate care or concern for others. Appropriate care or concern for others. In chapter 4, the word is used negatively to express undue or unreasonable concern. Undue or unreasonable concern. One commentator refers to it as unreasonable anxiety which arises in one who is full of cares, especially about the future, and thus distracted in mind. Another commenting on this Greek verb translated anxious 
in Philippians 4, 6 says it can mean, it can mean to be concerned about in a proper Christian sense as we see it being used in Philippians 2, 20. But here in Philippians 4, the meaning is clearly that of anxiety, fretfulness, or undue concern. He kind of mentions the same thing. Undue, undue means unwarranted or inappropriate uh, because excessive or disproportionate. Undue concern. Also commenting on do not be anxious about anything. One writer says, Paul's appeal to the Philippians is do not be anxious about anything. But this was not a call to a carefree life, right? And this is why I want to draw some distinctions about the word and make sure we're understanding it properly. While it's used in one place to speak of proper concerns, it's used in another place to speak of improper concern, right? He says, to care and be genuinely concerned is one thing, and that's how we see it in Philippians 2. To worry is another Indeed, and that's how we see it being used in Philippians 4. Let me say that again. To care and be genuinely concerned is one thing. To worry is another. Worry. You know, if I just look up the word worry, the verb worry, it uh, can be defined this way, to give way to anxiety or unease. To allow one's mind to dwell on difficulty or troubles, actual or potential. That's the verb. If I were to uh, define for you worry, the noun, it would be like this, a state of anxiety or uncertainty over actual or potential problems. Worry. And then just as we think about these words surrounding this Greek word, I think about anxious. As I look at that and define that as an adjective, it's experiencing worry, unease, or nervousness, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. In other words, an event that you have no control over. No control over. We sometimes use the words concerned and worry, at least I've heard this, and I, I'm sure I've done it. Uh, we sometimes use those words interchangeably, and that probably isn't helpful uh, worry and concern, because that could cause us to not think very carefully about what is actually going on in our hearts when we use those words. Because we could just start to equate them as being equal, but they aren't. Even this Greek word has two sides to it, but it's not the same thing. They're very different. One is negative, one is positive. One is right, one is wrong. One is helpful, one is destructive. Worry and concern are not, we shouldn't treat them as the same thing. So when we use those words, it, it is appropriate care or concern we are talking about. We should think, is it appropriate care or concern that we're talking about? You know, when we use words like concern or worry. Or is it worry, right? So we no doubt say we are worried. We, we say we're worried when concern would actually be more accurate. It would be a more accurate word to use. And we no doubt uh, are guilty of saying we are concerned when worry 
would be a more accurate word to use. Appropriate care or concern is not something we need to fight off or to repent of or to be concerned about. (laughs) But worry is. Worry is destructive. Worry is consuming. And worry is something we are not to do as followers of Jesus Christ. And we have been empowered to not do it. So uh, you can have a concerned parent, for instance. That's one thing, right? But it's a very different thing to have a worried parent. That's something else. Concerned parent, worried parent. A concerned Christian then is one thing, but a worried Christian is something else. Again, one is fine and good. The other needs to be repented of. Concerning Paul's appeal, do not be anxious about anything. And again, the writer, uh, one of those commentators I quoted earlier, saying this was not a call to a carefree life. Hey, don't worry about anything. It doesn't matter. No, he's not saying do not be concerned about anything or anyone, right? I just want to be very clear. It's worry. That's the issue. So just to, to break this down a little bit further with you and kind of walk through it with you in my own mind, and you might... Hopefully, you'll have some thoughts about this too, and you'll be thinking about these things and about how you're processing and how you're talking and be checking what's really going on in your heart. But to kind of help us, you know, is it worry or is it legitimate concern? Is it concern you should have or is it uh, concern you, sh- an overabundance of concern? You're filled with cares and undue concern. So, I, th- I, I s- thought about this. You generally can, it's just a rule of thumb, you generally can or will do something when it comes to warranted or appropriate concern. Okay? Let's say, let's say I'm concerned about how Bob is doing since he had his surgery. All right? Legitimate concern. So should I stop being concerned and just pray? No, that's not... That wouldn't be appropriate. I can pray, but I shouldn't stop being concerned and just pray. Rather, I should give him a call and check up on him. That's how it would look in the realm of legitimate or appropriate concern. Now, let's look at the other side of it. I am worried about Bob's health. It's not very good. He could get really sick in the near future. I'm worried he might. He might even die. I'm worried about the pain and troubles that that might bring to him and and maybe to me or to others. In that case, you need to stop worrying and you need to pray. You need to pray according to what Paul says here. And we'll look at that here in a moment in the passage. Uh, Another example, I'm concerned about, if I'm concerned about leaving my children with a particular caretaker do I just pray? No. I'm not going to leave my children with, the per- with that person. Or I'm going to arrange things so that my concern is addressed or at least mitigated. Versus, I am worried about the choices my children will make when I am not around. What do I do then? Stop worrying. Right? These, are, these are things you have no control over. Stop worrying and pray. And pray. I'll try a few more. I I don't know if these are helpful. I hope they are. 
I am concerned that if I don't plant more seed in the ground, we won't have enough to eat this season. So would you tell me, hey, don't be concerned. Just pray, brother. No, plant more seed then. Plant more seed. Versus, I am worried that the rain won't come. Or we won't have enough rain to make our seed grow. What do you tell me? Stop worrying, biblically speaking, and pray. And pray. Or finally, (laughs) uh, this might seem silly, but I am concerned that my car won't make it to work with the gas that I have in the tank. What are you going to tell them? Hey, listen, based on Philippians, all you got to do is just pray. Don't worry, brother. Just pray. No, go get gas. Go fill it up. But here's the other side of that. I am worried that I might get into an accident while driving to work. Okay? Stop worrying and pray. Okay? So what might the Philippians have been anxious or worried about? What do we know about based on the letter? Well, as one writer puts it, the hostility from the Philippians' neighbors, pagan neighbors, And the possible threat of persecution to this infant congregation may well have caused Paul's friends to worry. Again, something that was outside of their control as they lived their faith. It it very well could lead to additional hostilities from those around them and persecution and suffering. And maybe that caused them great anxiety and worry. Also, it could have included, their anxiety could have included Paul's imprisonment. And more specifically, the outcome. What was going to happen to Paul? What was going to take place? Would he go before the tribune? At his trial, would he be released? Or would he be executed? They loved Paul. Paul loved them. What would happen to the gospel? This man did so much in advancing the gospel. Worry. Anxiety all out of their control. Worrying about things they can do nothing about. Looking back at the text, notice that Paul doesn't just say though, hey, stop your worrying. Don't be anxious about anything. And then that's it, right? Knock it off. (laughs) No. It's instead of that, as we look at it, do this. Instead of worrying, instead of being anxious Turn to God in prayer. This is the corrective to their anxiety. It's beautiful. It's just beautiful. Philippians 4, 6. Look back at the text. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, that could be translated petition, by prayer and petition, as it is in the NIV, With thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Be prayerful instead of anxious. That's the loving exhortation. One writer says, the way to counter undue concern, worry, anxiousness, unreasonable anxiety, is by a specific petitionary prayer offered along with thanksgiving. 
the way to be anxious about nothing, he goes on to say, is to be prayerful about everything. I was thinking about that, and I was also thinking about the fact that when Christians are asked about their prayer life, what you will, what you will often hear, not always, but pretty frequently, is that it is seriously lacking their prayer life. It's minimal at best. And at the same time, beloved, there are a number of reports out there that a growing number of people, including Christians, are turning to medications to deal with their anxieties. Might there be a connection between this prayerlessness and their worries? I, I, I believe there is. I believe there would be. The NAT puts Philippians 4.6 this way. Do not be anxious. The NET is just another translation of the Bible. Do not be anxious about anything. Instead, not this, this. Instead, in every situation, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, tell your request to God. Don't be anxious. Instead, in every situation, especially in situations that you are worried about or filled with anxiety over, through or by prayer and petition, or you could say through or by petitionary prayer, that's how one scholar would understand it, petitionary prayer, through or by, instead of your anxiety, do this through or by petitionary prayer prayer through or by turning to i'm going to explain it now turning to and calling out to god and humbly asking or pleading for help from god with thanksgiving paul adds that with expressions of gratitude humbly go to god i come before him i'm offering up my petitions I'm pleading for his help. I'm also filling that prayer with expressions of gratitude or with the giving of thanks from a, from a heart of gratitude for all that God has done in my life. And, and think, beloved, as you go to the Lord in this prayer of all the ways he has blessed you and think most of all of the amazing or the amazing blessing of your salvation in Christ. So with thanksgiving, with expressions of gratitude, with the giving of thanks from a heart of gratitude for all that God has done in your life and with thanksgiving for all that he has promised he will do, more is yet to come. 
more abundant and superb blessings from God are to come. Thanking him for all of that. Make your request known to God. That's what Paul says. That's what Paul says. Not this, but that. That type of prayer. That's what he exhorts, lovingly exhorts his worrying Philippians to do. One writer says, without thanksgiving, considering the aspect of thanksgiving, without thanksgiving, prayer becomes merely a way of complaining to God about all the bad things that are or might be happening. Prayer with thanksgiving, beloved. It's, it's, don't miss that. Prayer with thanksgiving, with expression of gratitude, with the giving of thanks from a heart of gratitude, as I said, for all of God's blessings, blessings past, blessings present, and blessings future is, you know, of course, entirely appropriate for us to do as those who have been so blessed by God. But also, it's not just appropriate, but also think about how that kind of prayer impacts your heart and your mind. Think about how it impacts your heart and your mind. Even as you, as you work through that, you are acknowledging the goodness of God. You are acknowledging the faithfulness of God. You're acknowledging that he does care for you and has been caring for you, that he does not let you down. That he fulfills his good purposes. They don't always, they always aren't pleasant, uh, what we go through, but he always accomplishes his good in them and through them, in you. That he loves you and cares about you so much that he gave up his only son, his, his only begotten son, divine son. Th that's what goes through your heart and mind. What are you worrying about? You know, again, I talked about, and, I, and I'll tell you, I think a lot of our prayers, I, I've mentioned this before, they're just, they're void of, of this thankfulness, right? Just right to, Supplicate, right to petition, right to, I need, I need, I need, I need, I need, I need, right? And we do need to tell him our, our needs. We do need to cast our cares upon him, but this prayer needs to be filled with expressions of gratitude, with the giving of thanks from a heart of gratitude for all of God's blessing. It's appropriate, and it accomplishes something good in your heart in mind, I, and again, I mentioned the acronym to you last week, ACTS, right, as a way to pray. If you're thinking about, how do I pray? You know, what should I do when I go to the Lord in prayer, right? The A was for adoration. I talked about that when we talked about rejoicing in the Lord always. That we can begin our, our prayer with adoration, which is, will cause us to adore him and rejoice in him. But uh, the next one's confession. That's a has a proper place in prayer too, confessing our sins before God. That it's, a, it's a humbling ourselves before him. But uh, the T stands for thanksgiving, and then the S is supplication. Thanksgiving. I was thinking about this. You know those blogs I told you about earlier? 
from Grace to You's website. The one that's titled The Incompatibility of Faith and Anxiety, which was posted on April 29th. I didn't read you this, but he says this as well. He says, Christians who worry, believe God, can redeem them, break the shackles of Satan, take them from hell to heaven, put them into his kingdom, transform their nature, and give them eternal life. But just don't think he can get them through the next couple of days. <laughs> he says that is pretty ridiculous. Okay? And I agree, but I, I was thinking about this. Look, in this prayer, watch. I'm going to take his words and just change some things. Christians who thank God as they go to him in prayer for their redemption for the fact that he broke the shackles of Satan, that he took them from hell to heaven, that he put them into his kingdom and is transforming their nature and gives them eternal life. How do you think they will think about God and their current circumstances as they remind and recall and express out loud these very things as they give thanks to God in prayer? The last part of chapter 4, verse 6, he says, make your requests known to God. Make your requests known to God. Praying this way, he closes it out with, make your requests known to God. Why is this important? To come before God and to, to verbalize or to, to make my requests known to him. One writer says this, by bringing to him their request or our request, which reflect every possible cause of anxiety, they or we are laying out all their troubles before him. Lord, here it is. Or casting all their cares upon him. It's a, it's a, it's a form of giving it over to him. I'm gonna give it to you. I've, here it is, Lord. And we see that in 1 Peter 5, 7. In doing this, the Philippians acknowledge their total dependence upon God, right? I'm going to him and I can't do, I don't, I can't handle this. I'm giving it to you to handle and I'm gonna trust you because you are able and willing. He says it, in doing this, the Philippians acknowledge their total dependence upon God, beautiful, instead of trying to figure it out on their own or, or, or make things so that they're not anxious anymore or fix it somehow or talk themselves out of there. They say, I'm gonna just give it to you, Lord. I'm dependent on you. I'm trusting in you. It's, the, it's an act of putting ourselves in his hands as we cast all of our cares before him. I'm going to read it again. And doing this, the Philippians acknowledge their total dependence upon God. And at the same time, they are assured in the doing that he knows their earnest desires. They have told him of them. It's beautiful. I found someone else who commented, and I thought this is, this is worth uh, bringing up. He said, the corrective to worry, biblically, the corrective to worry, it's not meditation, if I just sit here long enough and empty my mind of all thoughts and ideas, um, I'll resolve my anxiety and worry. 
That's not, that's not what the Bible says. It's not meditation, but by your request that are humbly expressed to God in thankful prayer. That's the biblical answer, beloved. Back to the text. And let me, let me just pick it back up in verse six of Philippians chapter four. And then we're gonna look at verse seven. You there with me? Okay. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication or petition with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Verse seven. And the peace of God, which surpasses or transcends is another translation. Transcends in the NIV. And the peace of God which surpasses or transcends all understanding. All right. So let me quickly, before we uh, finish off the verse, what does that mean? This, what does it mean that God's peace surpasses or transcends all understanding? Well, there's two general views Either could be right. Uh, I'll tell you which way I lean, but either could be right. One way to understand that is, is it is a peace that is beyond man's ability to comprehend. It's just beyond their ability to comprehend. One commentator comments that Calvin, John Calvin, advocates this meaning on the grounds that, quote, nothing is more foreign to the human mind than to hope in the depth of despair, in the depth of poverty to see riches, and in the depth of weakness not to give way. So it could mean that. It's just they can't even, the, the man of minds man can't comprehend uh, this, this peace of God. Or it could also mean, and I lean this way to the second one, that it is a peace that surpasses every human thought or device as a means of ensuring tranquility of heart. In other words, in case that was confusing at all, nothing can reduce anxiety as effectively as God's peace does. One writer commenting in, on that um, understanding of that part of verse 7 says God's peace accomplishes more than any human forethought or scheming can achieve this peace is far more effective in removing anxiety than any reasoning power in other words you think you're gonna work your way out of your anxiety nothing compares to God's peace as being a solution to man's anxieties. That's where I, I lean that way. But either way might be correct. So, going back again. And the peace of God, which surpasses or transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds, will guard your emotions and your thoughts in Christ Jesus. Verse 7, beloved, is a promise. It's a promise. Do not worry, but instead pray this way. That is with, with prayers, as someone puts it, that rest 
on grateful remembrance of God's faithfulness, right? And the peace of God will guard, will watch over, will protect your fragile hearts and minds. That's a glorious, that's a glorious promise and a glorious result. One commentator says, the transcendent experience of God's peace is the assured result of praying as verse six describes. Guard, it's a cool word that Paul uses when he chooses that word. This peace, the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. A commentator says it's a vivid military term used of a detachment of soldiers who stand guard over a city and protect it from attack. Paul pictures God's peace as a garrison or as the troops that are stationed in a fortress or town to defend it. That's what a garrison is. Paul pictures God's peace as a garrison keeping guard over the Philippians' hearts and minds, protecting them from all assaults. He goes on to say, since the city of Philippi was guarded by a Roman garrison at the time, the metaphor would have been easily understood and appreciated by the readers. We have a couple of other pieces of this Verse 7 that I want to comment on as well. What about the peace of God? We know it surpasses all understanding. I talked to you a little bit about that, but what about just that idea, the peace of God? Commenting on that, one a really good commentator, and I thought this was super helpful and wanted to share it. He says this, the peace of God is the opposite of anxiety. God himself is not beset with anxieties, for he knows the end from the beginning and directs all things in accordance with his will. When we trust God in prayer, God gives us his peace to guard our hearts and minds against anxious thoughts. Oh, how we need that peace, beloved. He goes on to say this, the condition for experiencing God's peace is not that God grants all of our requests, but that we have made known all our requests to God with thanksgiving. God's peace is not the result of the power of our prayers or the effectiveness of our prayers. Prayer is not auto-suggestion, a form of self-hypnosis that produces God's peace. I'll just pray myself into peace. Prayer is our openness about our needs before God our emptiness in his presence, our absolute dependence upon him with an attitude of constant thanksgiving and complete trust. When we pray with that attitude, the focus is not at all upon what we are doing or will do, but on what God will do. God will do something supernatural beyond our best abilities and thoughts. The peace of God will guard us. 
wow. So good. So good. I think it's good. I hope you do too. Another comments and says, God's peace will be powerfully at work in their lives as a result of their pouring out their hearts in petition with thanksgiving. Not because they have made requests that are perfectly in line with the will of God. Not because of that, not necessarily, but because of this, of what he just said. Finally, the final piece of Philippians 4, 7, he says, in Christ Jesus, right? In Christ Jesus. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Well, that's the sphere in which the divine protection occurs. God's peace, as one author put it, will stand guard over their hearts and minds of those who are in union with Christ Jesus. Within this relationship, there is the protection or guarding of God's peace within this relationship. Now that, beloved, uh, brings me back for a moment to what I opened with in the intro concerning these blogs about anxiety being posted on grace to you and where he says one of the most hopeless aspects of unrepentant sinners lives is that they have no answer for anxiety they're forced to put their hopes in flimsy fallible plans and institutions they aren't able to rest firmly in the unchanging promises of god They have to ride out every wave of calamity, every unexpected disaster. I wonder if you're listening and you are not in Christ. You are not a child. You have not yet been made a child of God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, through repentance of your sin and coming to him and acknowledging him for for who he really is, Lord and Savior and only Savior of sinners. For not calling out, for not, and you have not yet called out upon him to rescue you, to redeem you by his blood through the cross, through his death and resurrection. You have not yet trusted him and trusted in all that he has done and will do. I wonder if that's you, and, and, I, and if it is you, then you have no solution, no real lasting solution for the anxieties and worries that plague you. No fix, no real fix, no lasting fix, no fix that really satisfies. The Lord says in Matthew 11, chapter 11, verse 28, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I wonder if that's you who have no rest because you're not in Christ. I wonder if you would answer the Lord's call, that you would come to him, that you would bow before him and that you would call out upon him to save you, to give you new life, to give you hope, to reconcile you to God 
that you might go to him as your father and bring your cares before him, your petitions, that you might be able to then rely on him as your father and trust in him and thank him for all the blessings that you have because of Christ. I wonder if you would do that. And Christian, and Christian, you who know Christ, I just pray that these things that we've looked at today, and I pray that you would go to the blog site, and I pray you might get the book, and but I pray you would think through these things. I, I like you, have um, been too often overwhelmed by anxiety and worry needlessly. It doesn't have to be that way. The Lord has provided his instruction for us who are his because he loves us and he cares for us and he knows the damage that anxiety-filled hearts, worried-filled minds does to the person and the distraction that it is to them and to the mission that they are to be on for Christ that he has given to them. And so he's given us his good word, his good guidance, this loving exhortation through his ambassador Paul recorded for us in this letter to another church and preserved for over 2,000 years so that you and I could read it and obey it and be blessed by it. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you. You are You are so good. You are so kind. And Father, I, I pray for all of us. You know how weak we are. You know how fragile our hearts and minds are. But you have not left us out here on our own to just figure things out or to make the best of it. But you have redeemed us. You have given us the Spirit, Holy Spirit. You have given us your perfect word so that we might know how to live and thrive for you in such a broken and fallen world living in broken and fallen bodies. Father, oh, how we need you, and we will always need you. Help us even now, Lord, as I know, as no doubt many of us are no doubt struggling, needlessly so, from the ravages of anxiety and worry due to the circumstances that we find ourselves in. Bless us, Lord. Work in us, work this word into our hearts and our minds that we might obey it all the days of our lives. We ask this all in our precious Savior's name, Jesus Christ, amen. Well, beloved, that concludes our time today. And we'll be back again. We'll be back again, Lord willing, next week. Same time, same channel. Have a blessed week.